Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one. And we started this series last week on the book of Galatians. We're going to be studying for the next few weeks this whole letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia. That's where we get the name of the book, Galatians. Uh, it's, a, it's a letter that was written to these churches in that area. And, uh, and we, we started just last week on the first five verses. By the way, if you need uh, notes, go ahead and uh, raise your hand and uh, Brother uh, Sai will, will get these to you. And that way, as we study God's Word together, we can follow along and whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your mind, uh, go ahead and write that in the notes. That's, uh, that's why we like providing notes is because it just allows uh, what I'm saying to be one thing, but what God says to be more important Write that in your notes, whatever God's speaking to you about during the, uh, the Bible study, and that way uh, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Galatians, this letter is written to the churches in Galatia, as we learned last week. We, we said it was a response uh, to false teachers that had gone into these churches and began to teach false doctrine, and, uh, and we, we really focused on the source of our freedom. We said this letter is all about freedom. And in the first part of the letter, the first five verses, we, we learned that Paul was uh, really going to start off by addressing the church um, there in Galatia or the churches in Galatia by, of course, identifying himself as the author of the letter, but then also on how he was reacting about being lied about. Uh, we, we talked about last week that he really focused uh, not so much on uh, the rumors that were going around about him, but rather uh, staying on mission, staying on point, staying on his calling. And, and we talked a little bit about that in verses 1 through 5 as he expressed that uh, to the churches there in Galatia who'd be reading his letter. As you get into verse number 6 this morning, we are confronted with another reality. The first reality was the reality of freedom in Christ and what he's called us to do. But the second reality is this, it is that every Christian is called to be a soldier. No matter your age or experience, we are soldiers in the army of God. And it's our responsibility as soldiers then that when war arises, we must go and fight. That's what soldiers do, right? We say wherever the action is, that's where soldiers go. Wherever the battles are being fought, that's where the army is sent. Now, it's no different in the Christian life. In fact, Paul says that we are soldiers in the army of God. And when there is spiritual battles going on, that's where we need to step up and fight. Well, here in the church of Galatia, false teachers had gone in and they began to teach a wrong uh, gospel. In fact, it's not even a gospel, Paul says. It's just wrong theology. They started teaching lies as truth. And whenever truth is being attacked, when the gospel is being attacked, guess what? It's time for the soldiers of the army of God to go to war. And so I want you to notice that in this next uh, five verses that we'll study today, Paul is kind of preparing what he's going to war for. He, he's starting to kind of uh, lay the groundwork of what this letter is going to be attacking as far as uh, the lies that it will be attacking. Now, soldiers are not people that are going to look for a fight. 
but they are people that when the fight comes, they respond to the call to fight. Soldiers aren't looking for fights, but when war comes about, they go to the fight. As Christians, we're not looking to see how much we can get on Twitter wars and get on social media to be fighting with people and letting them know how wrong they are. That, that, that's not what we exist for. But when the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel is being attacked, it is up to us to stand up to that threat. So here is Paul. He's starting to see the threat that is happening to the churches in Galatia. And he says, man, we, we got to do something. Now, I don't know if you've ever been drawn into a fight but what is the reaction in that? And I'm not talking about a physical fight. I mean, there you might be defending yourself. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, when someone's kind of baiting you, right? Like, just do something. One of the big stories this past week in baseball, I don't know how many saw it if you keep up with baseball or sports, was a pitcher for the Diamondbacks. Uh, he was a World Series, you know, pitcher not too long ago with the Giants, and uh, he was pitching, and now there's a new rule that every time after an inning, the pitcher's going back to the dugout, the umpire has to check uh, their hand to make sure they don't have any foreign substance. And this is very new, just happened, uh, they just started that rule this year, and, and as he was going off uh, the field to the dugout, he went to the umpire to get checked, and you can watch the video, the umpire is not even looking at his hand. The umpire, while he is uh, feeling his hand is just looking at the baseball pitcher in his eyes the whole time. And he did it for like, I don't know, 20 seconds. And usually the checking is only like, you know, five or six seconds. You just kind of check them and all right, there's no foreign substance. But he just stood there. And the umpire just looked at him in the eye. Of course, the baseball player got a little bit aggravated by it. So once he was done, as he was walking to the dugout, he said a few words. The umpire said a few more words, and suddenly the umpire was mad and kicked him out of the game after the first inning. And that was a huge story. And right now, the whole debate is, man, was, was that umpire just looking for a fight? Was he just trying to get something out of this pitcher? And what was his problem with the pitcher? Well, as I said, soldiers, we're, we're not looking to see who we can just go and fight. But we've got to be ready to. I don't know how many know their history, but in 1940, the United States, for the first time during a time of peace, instituted the draft, uh, what is officially known as the Selective Training and Service Act. And basically, it was, okay, everybody between the ages of 21 to 45, you have to register, and you could get drafted to serve in the Army. And the requirement was going to be one year if you get drafted. Well, 1941... Pearl Harbor gets attacked on December 7th, and suddenly enlistment comes. Did you know by the end of 1945, there was 50 million Americans between the ages of 21 and 45 that signed up for the war? I mean, it completely changed the look of our army as the United States. In fact, as a result of World War II, we really became the superpower that we are now because of that. But it always amazes me, those numbers. Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, and in the next four years, 50 million Americans. That, huge, that was a huge percentage number. Our, our, our armed forces today do not make up that big of a percentage of the population as it did in 1945 when they enlisted. But what I love about the history of America is those Americans that said, where's the fight? I'm ready to go. In fact, they said that many of them were 15 and 16 years old. They weren't even eligible to enlist 
they were lying about their age just because they wanted to go to war, because they wanted to defend our freedom and defend our country. When it comes to the battle of the Christian life, you are a soldier. And the threats that come to the gospel are threats that you and I need to respond to. Paul, in verse number 6, all the way down to verse number 10, is responding to that. He is giving the, uh, the enlistment and the reaction that he ought to have in dealing with this threat. Do you know, spiritual warfare in the Christian life is just a constant reality. It's no exception. There was, it, there was spiritual warfare in Paul's days. There's spiritual warfare now, here in our day. And just like Paul had to respond to that, you and I need to respond to that ourselves today. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a threat that's coming against the gospel? Well, in this letter, in these next five verses, we're going to see how Paul reacted, and then we're going to look at ways that we can apply that into our lives to react to threats that come against the gospel. I want you to notice three actions that he took. Number one, there in your notes, a correction of wrong doctrine. Notice what Paul says in verse number six. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The first thing that Paul wants to address is the wrong doctrine that has been given. Now, his initial response was shock. The word marvel is like, in, in the Greek, is shock. He was like, what? I mean, it's, it's not been that long. I was just with you guys. I had just given you the gospel. Y'all had accepted Christ as your Savior, and y'all had been doing right as a church for many years. But now, about 14 years later, now they're letting false teachers come in and give wrong doctrine. People that were saying, no, 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 grace is not enough in your life. You need to have some good works. You need to do something uh, so that God can forgive you, so that God can give you salvation. Yeah, you got to believe on him, but it's more than that. And they're trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was a threat, a direct threat to the truth. So what does Paul do? He corrects wrong doctrine. Now, he corrects it by, number one, reminding them of the grace or the God of grace that they chose to follow. He writes to them saying, I, I, I'm shocked that you're so soon removed from him. Him there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Him is the one uh, that is the God of grace. He said, I, I'm surprised that you're moving away. That, by the way, that, that word uh, there is in the, in the active, that, that, that Greek word of removed. It's not past tense. I know we translate it as past tense, removed, but it's actually active removing. In other words, they were slowly removing themselves from the God of grace. Now, the word literally here is the word, the Greek word, uh, metatathemi, which really means deserting. It was a military term. Paul is using this on purpose. He's saying, you guys are soldiers of the God of grace. You are in God's army and you're deserting him when this threat is coming. You're actively walking away from him. Now, what the Galatians were doing was replacing the God who is gracious with one of their own making. In other words, they're saying, God, what you did on the cross was not enough for us. Let us help you. So they're turning the God of grace into the God of good works. 
That's what they're doing. 1 Peter 5.10, Peter told the, the church, but the, grace of, but the God of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's what God's work does in us. It's not our work that strengthens us. It's not our good works uh, that make us perfect. It's not our good works that strengthen us. No, 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 no. That's God's work in us. He settles us. So notice the threat that's happening. Paul is looking and going, whoa, 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 whoa. So now you're teaching that it's not a God of grace that saves us, but it's a God that wants you to do good works for him that'll save you. A God that wants you to uh, be circumcised, one that wants you to be on the Sabbath, one that wants you to follow every law that he's established. And, and Paul said, that's not even why the law was given. You know, the word gospel literally is translated good news. And Paul is saying, what is the good news? <laughs> the good news is that you're good enough to get to heaven? No, no, that's the bad news is that you're not good enough to get to heaven. But they were trying to pervert that, change that to say the good news is that you can work your way there. After a lot of hard work and a lot of good decisions and living right, then you can get there. Then you'll be good enough for God to love you. You see how serious this threat is? So what does Paul do? He corrects this wrong doctrine. He, he tries to remind him, listen, we serve a God of grace. The, the, the problem with the, ideal, the ideology of the, the Galatians was we don't need outside help. We can do it ourselves. The whole message of the Bible is this. You can't do it by yourself. You need God. Totally the opposite. That is serious. Uh, listen, uh, I, I know if, if we had to maybe make it into modern day, some of the threats that are coming into our society today is one that says, hey, well, you know what? Marriage is just two people that love each other coming together. Wrong. Marriage is between a man and a wife for one lifetime. That's what the Bible teaches. It's a threat to what God is saying. Live in a society that says, oh, hey, we're all here just by accident. I mean, it was just one big explosion and some uh, goo that came to be and, and, and over millions and trillions of years, and then we kind of evolved to where we're at now. Wrong. The Bible says we are created in His image. In other words, there's a design behind us. There's a purpose behind our lives. In other words, there are threats that are coming into what the message of the gospel is that you and I need to stand up against. And we, we stand up against it by correcting the wrong doctrine of that philosophy. Isn't it crazy that in our school system, they tell us that we're a result of evolution from animals, and then when we act like animals, they don't understand it. Well, you teach people that they're animals, they're going to act like animals. That, that's why we have to fight against that. Correct that wrong doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. That wrong teaching. He wants to remind them, listen, the God of the Bible is the God of grace. But then I want you to notice, secondly, the grace of God they chose to receive. Paul says, I got to correct this wrong doctrine. Number one, you've moved yourself. You're moving. You're deserting away from the God of grace that called you into the grace of Christ 
unto another gospel. In other words, not only do we serve the God of grace, which is the Bible, the, the, Bible, the, the God of the Bible is the God of grace, but then you're also going away from the grace of God in your life. The grace of God is that undeserving mercy from God that we receive. It's God's grace that gives us forgiveness. It's the grace of God that gives us understanding. It's the grace of God that gives us a bright future. It's the grace of God that transforms our lives. And now these Christians at Galatia were throwing all that out. And they were saying, it's us, it's us. Talk about a selfish nature. Talk about a prideful nature that is being displayed here by these Christians. That's all it is. They're moving away from the God of grace, I don't need Him, and the grace of God, I don't need that either. Why would I need the grace of God if I can do it myself? Paul says, remember the grace that you received? You you remember what was shared with you and how you were lost in your sin? And when you came to the saving knowledge of Christ, remember how it felt? You remember the change? Remember what that meant for you? Can I say before we judge the Galatians too harshly, I think it's important to remind ourselves that many times we can do the very same thing. We forget that it's God's grace that has changed us. We somehow think that, well, we've been a Christian for so long, I already know everything about the Bible. I don't really think it's that important to go to church. I mean, come on. I could teach that class. I already know that lesson. I mean, every time Pastor Jeremy teaches something, I'm like, I've heard that. Okay, give me something new. And Paul says, you know what? There's a a problem with that. The problem is you're forgetting the grace of God. It's the grace of God that gives us understanding. So if you know it, thank God that he's given you the grace to know it. By the way, people that are living by the grace of God don't have that attitude. They just don't. People living in the grace of God don't come to church to say, well, I'm better than that guy, I'm better than that guy, I'm better than that lady, okay, I'm better. (laughs) People in the grace of God, living in the grace of God, see themselves for who God says they are. I love what Paul told the church in, in Corinth. I put it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In Corinth, they were saying the same thing. Paul's not an apostle. How long long has Paul been following Jesus? I mean, he says he saw Jesus. I mean, come on. You know what Paul said? Look, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, Christians in Galatia, You know why I can identify with you? Because I was there. At one time, I was trying to do the law, and by fulfilling the law, I was persecuting the church. Because I was saying, hey, the church is not following the Sabbath. Hey, uh, the church isn't uh, requiring this from people, and the the church is is talking to the Gentiles, and uh -uh, that's not going to stand. And he said, "I, I used to try to live by my own goodness. He said, thank God that someone corrected that wrong doctrine in my life. Jesus himself appeared to him on the road to Damascus and corrected that wrong doctrine. And Paul is just simply saying, listen, don't forget, 
you're deserting the God of grace. And by doing that, you're leaving behind the grace of God that you so desperately need. How do we respond to the threats of the gospel? By correcting wrong doctrine. Number two, a condemnation of wrong doctrine is given as well. By condemning wrong doctrine. Verse 7 and 8, which is not another gospel, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which is we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. See, Paul continues fighting for the faith of the gospel by pointing out that false teachers were perverting that true message and they were giving a wrong message about themselves. See, the, 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 whole, the whole thing behind these wrong teachers wasn't doctrinally and what they were trying to teach, though they were teaching wrong doctrine. But then they were lying about themselves. Hey, I, I can tell you because ha, me and God are close. My good works, I mean, listen, God can do half of what he does without me. I mean, that was their attitude. Listen, I have this degree, and I come from this uh, rabbi school, and I, I've got some. What does Paul have? <laughs> doesn't have what I have. Paul's holding out on you guys. He's not as learned as we are. He doesn't know as much about the Bible as we do. We can, we're, we're telling you he's, he's leaving out so much. We're, we're trying to fill in the gaps for you. They were just giving a wrong message about themselves. They were teaching another way based on their own self-given authority. They said they had a better way. They had a more perfect way. In other words, they knew the truth. and They had been given a secret revelation that Paul didn't have. By the way, that still happens today. If you want to read the history of the Mormon church, that's what it is. I believe it was Joseph Smith is the founder of the Mormon religion. And he said, oh, you can't trust the Bible. An angel came to me and told me, don't trust the Bible. It's been perverted by people. Let me give you a new revelation. And that's what they teach. In fact, anywhere that the Book of Mormon and the Bible contradict each other, they say, oh, you got to trust the Book of Mormon. That's what these people are saying, the same thing. Oh, we have a, a, a secret revelation from God. By the way, Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. Oh, there's a wrong version here, even though they've changed every word in a verse, but they just, they're there. They're a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing what Paul says about that. Paul says they are to be condemned. Because what they're saying is corrupt and untrustworthy. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said it this way. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That describes the false teachers there. Not only were they giving them a wrong message of themselves, but they were giving a wrong message of Christ. So Paul condemns 
the message of themselves, the wrong message they were giving. That's why in, in verse number uh, 8 and verse number 9, it sounds like he's saying the same thing, and he, and he does in a little bit, but notice the differences. That's what I want to point out real quick. It's very subtle. Notice in verse number 8, he talks about, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, don't believe it. You ought to condemn the, the person, the person that gives themselves that self-given authority. I don't care if it's me, he says. I don't care if it's uh, an angel that says, I'm an angel from heaven. He says, don't believe it. If it's not what the gospel that I gave you was, the gospel that salvation comes by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, he said, if it ain't that gospel, don't believe it, no matter what they're saying about themselves. The emphasis is on that. But then in verse number 9, there's a subtle dif difference. He says, and as we have said before, I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel. Now he's saying just if any other man preach any other gospel. And then he says, that ye, uh, that ye have received. There was a, a wrong message about themselves, but a wrong message about Christ and the message that they had received about Christ. The message that they received was, hey, uh, you Galatian, you can't get to heaven on your own. You need Christ alone. Faith in Christ is what gives the forgiveness of sins. It's what gives salvation. It's what makes you a member of the family of God. That's the only way. It's by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That was what they had received. But now they're turning away from that. Now they're saying, well, it's that and also some of the sacraments and, and maybe some of the, uh, of the uh, you know, Pearl of Great Wisdom book. And, and you know, you, you got to have all these things, you know, to, to, to add to that. And Paul said, no, it doesn't. I love the uh, observation that F.B. Meyer once gave about the thief on the cross. He said his, nail, his, his hands were nailed to the cross where he could not serve with his hands one bit. He said there was a nail through his feet that did not allow him to go and do any good work for others. He said salvation that was given to him was given merely by the grace and mercy of Christ on that cross. It's not works. But here these false teachers are attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving the wrong message that Christ is not the only way for the forgiveness of sins and the favor of God. And Paul says they are to be condemned. The Greek word there for condemned, you write it in your notes because I didn't put it there, it's the word anathema. Anathema means a thing devoted to God without hope of ever being redeemed. One Bible translation translated this way, and I think it's a harsh way, but an accurate way of what that word is meaning. This translation says they are to be damned to judgment. That's what Paul's literally saying. Someone giving you with a wrong message about the authority that they have and a wrong message about the grace of God and the, the message of Christ... That's not the gospel. And anyone that's given you that as gospel, he says they are to be damned to judgment. 
Listen, this is why, as a church, we're not going to go and hold hands with Mormons and say, hey, let's just pray and have a service together. Because what they're teaching is damnable heresy. We're not going to do that with Jehovah's Witnesses and say, hey, let's just come together and sing Kumbaya and, and, and praise God together. No, no. Paul says that's not a gospel that they're giving. That's a lie that they are sharing with people. They're literally leading people down the path of hell. That's a threat on the gospel. You are a Christian soldier. You ought to condemn that. And then let me give you the last thing that he does, the last action he takes, and that is a confirmation of the right authority. You get to verse number 10, and he says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul explains that his authority comes from God, not men. These false teachers were like, hey, we're from Jerusalem. We got this, you know, these people are backing us up and, and we have all this knowledge about the Bible. And Paul said, listen, I, I don't need the backing of all these men. Not that having credentials is wrong. Not that having a, a good foundation and education is wrong. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul was very educated and very academic. But what he's simply saying is their authority is coming from a false place, a lie. People that don't have authority to, to send people out and to teach these things. My authority comes from God. He reminds them of that. You see, he had been accused of pleasing people, Paul, Someone said, well, you know, Paul, when he's with the Jews, he acts this way. When he's with the Gentiles, he acts this way. And Paul said of that, he says, listen, I am to all men all things so that I might reach some with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't trying to be two-faced. He was simply saying, listen, the same gospel that saves you out of Judaism and out of a, a, a good works-based salvation that's a lie is the same one that'll save the person who's never heard of God, never been to church, doesn't even know what a Bible is. The message is the same. You see, he began to contrast his words and actions to what they said of him. Paul was saying, have I made myself clear? Do my actions reflect someone that's trying to please God from what I'm telling you or please people? What does it sound like to you? Uh, am I scoring political points by saying that they ought to be accursed, condemned? That doesn't sound very friendly. He said, I'm, I'm not trying to score political points with them and let's just build some bridges. And No, 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 no. When it's false doctrine, there's no bridges that need to be built. Now, when we're talking about different preferences and standards, that's something totally different. But doctrine, when someone is saying there's another way other than Christ to get to heaven, that's damnable heresy. And Paul says, anyone teaching that, don't get around them, condemn them. Today, we don't need to look how to please everyone around us and what we say and do. Though that is the pressure, isn't it? Oh, oh uh, talk about, hey, I, I don't think that we ought to be teaching kids uh, about uh, things that are really for adults to be really discussing. I don't think we need to tell a kindergartner about their gender and how they can choose and what that's all about. 
And what's the pressure? Hey, hey, conform to that. Hey, conform to that. If not, you're a bigot. If you can't say and you can't uh, raise the flag and, and hang the flag in your home that's the rainbow flag, by the way, a rainbow was given to us as a promise of God not to condemn us anymore, and they've changed that completely. By the way, if you want to know the difference, the, um, I was told this, the, the gay flag has six rainbow colors, uh, but the rainbow has actually seven colors, an actual rainbow in the sky. But anyway, the, today the, the pressure is conform to that, conform to that. We, we, we ought to be on the same page. If not, you're not loving. You're not understanding of people. You know what Paul would tell us today? Hey, with what authority are you giving what you're doing and what you're saying? Listen, it's not our choice for some of what we have to stand for. Look, I don't want to fight for anybody. As soldiers, we're not going to look for a fight. But when the truth of the gospel is attacked, we have to respond. How do we respond by correcting wrong doctrine? How do we respond by condemning wrong doctrine? How do we respond by confirming who it is that has given us the authority to say and do what we're doing and saying? Paul said, am I, am I trying to please uh, men? No, I'm not. If it was about having good political points, I'm saying the wrong things, men. But I'm not. And then notice it was about identifying his master. At the end of verse 10, he says, for I yet, uh, he said, I should not be, if I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He reminds the Galatian Christians at the end of the day, he's just a servant of Christ. The false teachers spoke a lot about people they knew and organizations they were connected with, but had little to say about Christ. Paul says, listen, I don't have a lot to say about organizations, but I do have a lot to say about Christ. And the message that he has for you. I love that in Romans 1, 1, Paul would always say that. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. No wonder whenever it was being attacked, Paul said, hey, we got to answer that. Because he saw himself as a soldier of Christ. Can I say, Christian... The whole letter of Galatians is given to us so that you and I can see ourselves as soldiers. We're not to look at it and go, oh, well, I don't know. That's just what they think. I mean, no, no, we've got to answer that. Because listen, believe it or not, your kids are going to ask you about it sooner or later. Dad, why don't we do that? Mommy, why don't we go there? What's so wrong about this movement? Mom, they're, they're telling me, Dad, they're telling me at school that I'm not being loving because I'm not accepting of a lifestyle. It's coming. In fact, I saw a, uh, a poll that said, um, it was given to millennials and really Gen X as well, and they were saying that up to 30%, I think I'm right on that, up to 30% we're identifying as LGBTQ. That's a big number. 
And it might be that they weren't actively living, according to that study, that lifestyle, but they were open to it. Pastor, what are we going to do? We're going to correct wrong doctrine. We're going to condemn wrong doctrine, and we're going to confirm who it is that has given us the authority to do that. We're going to fight as soldiers of the cross. We're going to fight for freedom. That's what this letter is all about. As we finish, let me give you, because time has gotten away from us, let me give you some practical ways to fight for our faith really quick. I left it here in your notes. Because our faith continues to be under attack. What do we do about it? How do we apply some of this truth, these principles of what Paul did in correcting and condemning and confirming? Well, let me give you a few practical thoughts. Number one, letter A, attack problems, not people. You'll notice that Paul didn't call out these false teachers by name wasn't personal with them on that level. You know, he wasn't like, well, you're ugly. Well, you're stupid. That wasn't his arguments. Let me say that when you're attacking a threat that is coming against the gospel of Christ, don't make it something personal. Attack the problem. Because you know what? We're all sinners. And if it wasn't for the grace of God... My mind would be darkened to think exactly how they're thinking. Sometimes we think ourselves, we're just so much smarter than them. No. We're fortunate that the grace of God and the God of grace reached us. So we can see the error of that thinking. But other than that, we'd be darkened in our minds. Because in our old nature, we love darkness rather than light. So, when attacking a threat, attack the problem, not the people. Number two, condemn wrong practices and positions. Condemn them. Don't allow yourself to accept them. Don't allow yourself to justify them. Paul wasn't saying, well, let's just see how we can come to a compromise with these guys. I know you're teaching that. Well, I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle. No, Paul said, no, it's not. You've perverted the gospel. It's not even a gospel what you're teaching. There is no good news in that. Condemn wrong practices and positions. As a church in our church constitution, we say marriage is between a man and a woman, period. This church, we're not going to be having a marriage ceremony between two guys that just love each other or two girls that think they're in love with each other. We're not doing that. In our constitution, it states that we believe that God made two genders, male and female, made he them. We're made in His image. We don't choose what gender you want to be. No. God chose the gender you're going to be with a purpose. And let me tell you, whatever gender you are, you're the best gender you could be. So we're going to condemn wrong practices and wrong positions in this church. And then notice number three, affirm what is right, not just what is wrong. Affirm what is right, not just what is wrong. Paul, Paul at the end was saying, look, it, look I, I, I'm getting this from the authority by God that sent me. He wasn't just focusing on all the bad. He was focusing, look, let me tell you the, 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 the good of why I'm doing this, the why here, the motivation behind it. Affirm what is right. People say, man, you guys, you Christians, man, you're always against everything. No, we're not. I'm for fun. Absolutely. 
I have a lot of fun. I love board games. I love social games. It's fun. You know, the, the majority of people, the majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people usually don't have to talk to the victim of someone that their life was taken because of a drunk driver. Just read, or I just saw on, on the uh, Channel 4 News app, last week an 18-year-old girl got rear-ended by some drunk driver, killed instantly. Man, you Christians, you, you don't want to get all drunk, man? What's wrong with you guys? Nothing. In fact, let me tell you what I'm for. I'm for family. I'm for a good long life and a happy life. I'm for people being forgiving to one another and loving one another. That's what I'm for. You guys are against drugs. Do you see what drugs do? You see what drugs do does to someone's body, to their mind? You guys are against everything. No, I'm actually good. I, I, I'm for a mind that's sober. I'm for a mind that's thinking clearly. And you, you guys are against everything. No, I'm for a dad that loves his son or his daughter and gives him a hug and says, I'm here for you. I love you, buddy. I'm for a mom that's going to be there and, and sit their child on their lap when they scrape themselves and they're going to put a Band-Aid and say, I love you and sing a nice song. That's what I'm for. Live in a world that wants to try to change the narrative and make us, oh, you're against everything. No, no, we're not. I, I'm for you having the greatest life that you could ever live. But you're only going to live the greatest life you can ever live when you do it according to God's word. It's the only way. So, what do you do when threats come against the gospel? Follow Paul's example to the Christians in Galatia. Correct it. Condemn the wrong doctrine. Confirm the right thing. Attack problems, not people. Condemn wrong practices and positions. And then affirm what is right, not what is wrong. Say what you're for. There's a lot that we're for. We're for more stuff than we are against. Remind others of that. That's how you respond or react to a threat. I want to encourage you to take those three actions this week. Let's apply them into our life. Let's do that in all we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word and thank you for the example that the Apostle Paul left us. This letter to the Galatians of what freedom is all about, but what fighting for our faith is all about. Thank you that he followed your principles and your truth to respond. He didn't react in a way that was carnal and fleshly and mean and evil and harmful. No. He responded in a way that that truly brings about joy and peace. So I pray that we would do that today. Help us to be peaceful in our minds. But as good soldiers, help us to be ready to fight 
when the fight comes. Help us not to back down, but to be bold as lions and brave as bears. Help us, Father, to apply your truth and stand for your truth. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.